Welcome to the Life and Science podcast. I'm your host Arjun. Today we are joined by Dr. Nicole Killian from the Parasitology Unit of the Center for Infectious Diseases in Heidelberg. Her group investigates novel secretory organelles generated by malaria parasites. Welcome to the show, Dr. Killian. How are you? Hi Arjun. Thank you very much for having me. I'm great. Um yeah, it's I'm so happy to be here and yeah, please call me Nicole. And uh, before we start I actually also want to make a shout out to my student Lena who actually I think suggested me to mm-hmm. be part of your podcast. So, yep. yeah, this is amazing and exciting. I'm looking forward to it. We are excited to have you join us. So, Thank to you. start off, what was the origin of your interest in biology? Did you know fairly early on that you wanted to be a biologist? That is actually a very good question. Um I hmm how was that so when i was little my first job idea what i wanted to do was that i wanted to be a concert piano player because my grandfather was a musician and so i was always very much uh, surrounded by music and still kind of am however um as i grew older and so my grandfather and i was just thinking about that story some time ago he would always put me on his bike and drove me around my hometown or our hometown and um he would basically point out the plants and say so what is this what is this and i would say oh this is this this is that and he kind of i think sparked my interest into everything nature and growing and and i was just absolutely fascinated by that as a kid and so over the years i said you know what i want to be not a concert piano piano player uh, i want to be um <laughs> i want to be a veterinarian and so the good thing is that german kids have the opportunity when they're in middle school to do a practical course an internship at whatever company they want for a few weeks and so i said ah this is easy i'm going to go to the vet and i'm going to see and it's going to be amazing and i'm going to be a vet and then i yeah i did and i was kind of shell shocked a little bit because it's way different you know like you have the animals that you need to take care of of course but you also have the families you need to be a support system for the families you're not only diagnosing the dog and you get to know these animals and this, this is very heartbreaking if one of them has to go and so i said well like i i cannot really do that this is this is not for me so i was like 13 years old at that time and i said okay you know what uh i always loved biology in school like it was always my favorite i think it's in kind of a preparation oh i will be a vet and um i said you know what you like biology a lot why don't you study biology you know why don't you just be a biologist and um yeah i caught myself reading a lot in biology books over the t- over the years over the time i said yeah that's that's the way to go so when i was 15 i kind of had that idea cemented and then um yeah I said okay so where do you study biology and then I said I was 17 meanwhile and in high school I said you know what I want to go to Heidelberg University mm-hmm. because that's a great university and I want to study mm-hmm. there and I want to be a biologist and so it's like very focused from from the age I decided mm-hmm. that I want to be a biologist that I just took all the necessary steps to become a biologist I took like biology as major subject in school of course mm-hmm. and English because I knew I was going to talk a lot of English during the day and like read a lot of English literature 
and also chemistry and this kind of things just to be sure I'm I'm very well prepared to study and so this is how it came about and how I started to study biology. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting that parasitology is a theme across your research projects be it your diploma thesis your PhD or your postdoc did you consider exploring other fields that may be unrelated to see if that catches your interest? So that is also a very interesting story. Um, so when I started studying at first, you know, you're overwhelmed with a lot of different subjects, you know, you have zoology, you have molecular biology of all these different topics. And I said, this is all cool, but I need something that is kind of mine, you know, that, that I feel comfortable with. And I realized already in the very first lecture that dealt a little bit with parasitology, that I was super interested in that. And I was like, oh my God, this is morbid and gory and weird, but somehow absolutely fascinating. And I said, you know what? I should explore this a little bit further. And the chance kind of came when <laughs> funnily enough, the parasitology department offered a practical course, just like a, a four or five day short internship. And what I said before, what kind of scared me when I did the practical course at the vet was now the absolute opposite. I loved being involved with everything parasitology, you know? So, so you really have these aha moments. So back in the days it was, okay, I cannot be a veterinarian. This doesn't work for me. Oh, here I'm doing this practical course. It's absolutely fantastic. And I want to be in parasitology. So that was kind of my aha effect. And so um, I basically started pursuing it. However, um, and back in the days, the studies were a little bit different. So you had your undergraduates and that you get basically kind of a pre-diploma. And then you had the um, graduate studies, which in this case was you study to be uh, a diploma diploma biologist and what I did then is I did a lot of different practical courses still you know mm -hmm. I knew parasitology was was the thing I was going to but I said you know what I still have the chance to be really broad and I just went and did um, I worked with Alzheimer's for a few weeks uh, we worked mm -hmm. with cancer with HCV so just different things to just get an idea and I said yeah this is all great and and I to be very frank and clear science is absolutely fascinating and there are so many different amazing research projects and I, one lifetime is way too short to explore all of them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but and I, sometimes i'm like oh torn and mm. but then i said no you know what parasitology is absolutely fascinating and i love it and then that's why i said okay i'm i'm gonna ask uh michael lancer the head of the department if i can conduct uh, my diploma thesis at his laboratory and um, we had a supervisor back then uh, whom I really liked. Her name is Petra Rohrbach. And um, she basically, she, she was just so also into this research. And I said, oh, I want to work with her. And she basically, and this is the interesting part of how my diploma thesis came about. She worked with phages and phage displays. So she isolated antibodies out of bacteria library. And she said, why don't you do that with um yeah targeting a protein of the parasite and i said oh my god this is absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. so i was working with that in my diploma thesis and then as the diploma thesis grew to a close i said okay i would like to pursue a phd mm -hmm. so where do i go and then i was thinking a little bit about it and i mean again heidelberg being the university my alma mater i felt comfortable i said you know what um 
I'll stay here. And meanwhile, there's kind of a topic that had developed over time, which was kind of where we looked at the inter or the establishment of host-parasite interaction based on um, the Morris clefts. Mm-hmm. And the Morris clefts is a secretory organelle um, that a parasite generates into the cytoplasm of the host mm-hmm. blood cell. And I just found this concept absolutely fascinating. And so I said, you know what? This is not the phages that I did in my diploma thesis. It was a complete topic change, but I loved it from the minute I started working with it. And I, yeah, and I pursued my PhD. <laughs> and then, yeah, I graduated with it. With um, within, I started in 2008 in the fall, and in spring 2013, I I graduated. And yeah, <laughs> it was it was very nice. I had the chance to look at how these organelles are built in difference between healthy red blood as a healthy per definition is like no mutated hemoglobin mm-hmm. how the organelle looks like and then the difference between um red blood cells and uh, sickle cells for example how the morphology is changed how the trafficking is changed how the movement of the organelle is changed and i just loved every minute of it and so mm-hmm. this is this is how kind of although it's all parasitology I was working in kind of different topics Mm -hmm. at the time. And um, yeah, I highly recommend it because it kind of gives you, when you Mm -hmm. change something, it gives you a different perspective. Although you were in the kind of in the same realm at this point, um, yeah, you still get a great idea Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. what other research looks like in in parasitology. Now, sort of progressing to your postdoc, you go out of Germany. And uh, what was your whole thought process behind applying to different labs? And then finally choosing one and were these advertised positions or did you just try your luck by writing to different labs that you found interesting and hoping for it to all work out? Okay, so that that was also an interesting story. So as my PhD kind of drew to a close, I was close to submitting. I thought, you know what, Morris Clefts that really amongst all the research projects you like touched as a student like you looked a little bit into and like your phages and everything I said that's that's kind of your thing you really like that I said I would love to one day to have a laboratory to work with this organelle or in general how this organelle is yeah made up and so I said but you've been now for four and a half years basically in that kind of realm you worked on the Mars clefts you need to have a different perspective and learn a little bit more about secretory organelles in order to bring that knowledge back to your field and kind of apply it. So I said, okay, I want to work with secretory organelles in different cell systems. And um, I said, you know what, why don't I go ahead and work with the Golgi? And so I looked online <laughs> and in publications I said so who's working with the Golgi apparatus and who does microscopy who does like fancy imaging methods and I basically came up with a few professors that I thought very interesting and um, I they didn't advertise anything so basically what I did <laughs> destiny favors the bold I just wrote them an email and I said hi my name is Nicole I'm working on this and this. Uh, I'll be in the US then and then. 
and I'd be happy to meet you to talk about my research. And, and so they said, yeah, of course, drop by, you can give a seminar and you talk about your research. And this is kind of then becomes the, the interview, so to say. And yeah, as I said, I reached out to a few people, like two of them I'd like to mention was uh, Thomas Kirchhausen at Harvard University and uh, James Rothman at Yale University. And then there was another professor in Stanford and then one at NIH. And so I basically planned a two week quick trip through the United States, meeting all of these people, meeting some friends of mine on the way. And it was, it was an amazing, an amazing trip. And yeah, so I started um, like one of the interviews I did, of course, was then at Yale. And yeah, it's, it was just so refreshing because uh, Golgi researchers in general just love the idea of you have here another organelle that just sits in a cell that doesn't have, an, have, an, have organelles anymore, usually, um, once they matured. And so the discussions were so fruitful. They even, I was back in the days already writing my thesis up. And so they already give me input and say, oh yeah, do you want to maybe look at this? Or in your discussion, you want to see that? And I said, oh, that's amazing. And um, once basically the interviews were, were over and you get your job offers, you basically have a lot of thinking to do. And then you sit down and you say, okay, um, how do I, how do I, what, what do I do? What is, what is the best, where, where do I see myself? And, um, for me, I instantly had this connection with James Rothman. I really liked him. He was like oozing this, this law for science, but also, you know, he was someone you could also talk about, like, I'm a huge opera fan. So we talked about opera. We talked, this this kind of stuff and I, I love this like different points of views he had in, on life and on science and and also Tom Kirchhausen who was a, was a great guy who loved art I love art so we talked about that and we talked of course about science you know you you have to get the idea of how the PI is and those two were just amazing and I said okay I'm not gonna make any decision also by concerning the other professors before I haven't spoken to Michael Lanzer, of course, who was my PhD supervisor back then. And also my second PhD supervisor, uh, Professor Heiner Schirmer. And so I sat down with both of them and discussed all the options. And then I was, yeah, and then I went back and I pondered and I pondered and I thought and I thought and what to do, what to do, what to do. And then eventually I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to Jim's lab. And it was really... So I think I told him, so the interviews were in November, I told him in December, and then in May I had the defense and like three weeks later I moved to the US and immediately started working and I had an intermediate internship kind of so where I just learned the ropes already a little bit just for like two weeks just quickly having a look how everything works and like get the, get to know the lab. Yeah, and then I and then I moved over, and then I immediately started working on on the Golgi apparatus. And but there were also other topics uh, that I was interested in, which was photo damage during uh, super resolution microscopy. So that was very interesting. So you can see, I basically what looked like at the beginning, I started. Oh, it's all parasitology, although different topics within. Um, completely was a swap, 
uh, and I all of a sudden found myself working with mammalian cells and, and this kind of stuff. And it was very, very interesting. I, I learned a lot during this time. So, um, yeah, and I stayed for, how long did I stay in the U.S.? I stayed in the U.S. for six years. And, yeah, and then I basically moved back to Germany. And that was that. Mm -hmm. And in between, so I was five years in Jim Rothman's lab. And then I, for one year, I joined the lab of Shukri Ben Mamoon. He was, a, or is a malaria researcher, but also a Babesia researcher. And what was very interesting there was that he gave me the opportunity to work with another, um, basically, cousin of Plasmodium falciparum, which was Babesia. And that was interesting. And they basically looked at uh, secretorial organelles or like structures that the parasite builds within the red blood cell. And I said, this is fascinating. So I kind of started with the Golgi, went over another malaria parasite, not malaria parasite, but another blood parasite. And then basically slowly morphed back into um, the research with the Morris clefts. So mm -hmm. it was very, very exciting six years in the US. Um, mm -hmm. Living there was also different, uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I met my husband during that time, so <laughs> it was it was really uh, it was a it was a fantastic time. Yeah, shortly before I moved back, we got married, and um, yeah, and ever since then, after I moved back, now I'm here in Germany and mm -hmm. basically back in the atmosphere, back at my mm -hmm. alma mater, back at the same institute. Mm -hmm. I see. So. I imagine over this whole period of time through your education, you must have had several mentors. Hmm. Anything that has stuck with you, any advice that still rings true to you that you sort of fall back on often? Yes. Um, one thing that, that was always the overarching thing for me is um, to take good care of yourself and to be kind to each other and to others to yourself so basically be kind to yourself and be kind to others and kind of the person that instilled that in me was um Heiner Schirmer the second supervisor of my PhD he was basically when I started my PhD he was already basically a professor emeritus so I was the last student he supervised and he was always you know like we could talk about science and, and art music everything I like and he would always say, Nicole, I know you love what you do. And I know you basically sleeping in the lab here and there. Are you taking good care of yourself? You know, like rest here and there. And he was also, so Heiner unfortunately passed away in 2016. Uh, he was always someone in this respect where I looked up to because he was always, you could have a terrible day. And you would come to him and you could talk to him. And afterwards you felt like you were flying over the campus back to your, <laughs> to your work. And um, he, he really taught me to, you know, just, just this kindness. I, you know, you already have that excitement for your science. And, um, but it's always nice to know, you see, to see that there are people who take care of you and that you eventually at some point when you become a PI, you take care of people and that it's within your responsibility then to create a surrounding where you and other people feel comfortable. And um, so that was always something, something that stuck with me and that I'm mm -hmm. always when I'm like working and I'm thinking, oh, you know, 
um, what would Heiner do? And uh, this is this is usually so so my my thought process, and this is also the way. Like I, I talked to my students, as I said, he was always so excited. He would come when you had a talk afterwards, he would come to you and say, you did great. I'm so proud of you. And you're like, oh yes, you know, this is good. <laughs> I keep going. And um, you know, he, he, was, he was very supportive. And I think, uh, yeah, for all the, the good things he's done to me and all the support. I mean, of course the other mentors as well, but especially because as I said, he, he was already retired. He, he needn't have to do it but he mm -hmm. he decided to do it and he just he just i just felt protected and comfortable and uh and so you could really i could really do my work and i mm -hmm. i highly recommend finding finding someone finding the heiner in your mm -hmm. in your life mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what i suggest mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now with all of this experience and knowledge, now that you've started your own group, mm -hmm. what is the kind of vision that you have for your science and the lab culture that you want to build? Um, so the science, we are focusing, of course, on the Morris clefts. And um, this is what I had planned all along because I thought it was very interesting to, yeah, to just take all the knowledge that I've, like, acquired over the years and bring that back into the malaria fault so to say um and so i create an, an atmosphere at the lab that where the students feel feel comfortable you know I, science is really hard you know most of the time stuff don't work methods can be complicated you know you might be stuck up on one thing and you don't know oh my god how, how i'm gonna change this and you know if you already feel the maybe that there's some pressure or that the, the, the PI is not friendly and that you cannot approach the PI with question questions. That's already a problem. So I don't want to give my students that experience. And so the research I'm doing at the moment is based on like what master students are doing and bachelor students are doing. And I've supervised a bunch of uh, thesis research here already. And um, from all the students that I've seen, I mean, you know, usually they start with, okay, I did a practical course. I have a vague idea of what malaria is all about and this interests me. Um, but of course they are not experts, you know, it takes a long time. And then still, even if you are already PhD, postdoc, PI, you still learn every day you learn. And this is something very important. And this is also what I tell my students, you know, I said, you, you never stop learning, but I want to give you the experience that once you defend your thesis um, and you talk about your research, it's going to be your research and you thoroughly going to have an idea of what you've been doing. And I've seen this time and time again, they come, they start, they're like, mm, okay, I'm not sure. Is this really, I, can I ever do it? I said, no fear. Fear is the worst thing you can do. Um, just, just go there, say, I can do it. And then, as I said, I've seen it time and time again. They defend their thesis like they've never done anything else in their life. And that's for me, like, I'm, I'm like such a proud mom. <laughs> I'm, of course, I'm not the main examiner. Michael Lanzers as a department head is still the main examiner in this respect. And I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm writing the protocol and this kind of things. And um, I actually sit in the back and I'm so proud of them when they present their work. And I said, see, told you. You know, you, you're gonna you're mm -hmm. gonna make it, and that's kind of the the atmosphere. You know, that people feel comfortable, that they 
know that they're going to make mistakes, but nobody's going to chop their head off for it. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that they're going to come out with a nice perspective on what they want to do. And if, if this is kind of the way they want to pursue, or if they maybe want to see something else, and that's also totally fine. You know, you cannot mm -hmm. have them all in the parasitology, but mm -hmm. uh, the more students that eventually at some point decide to come back, their masters, mm -hmm. their, again, that put in PhD, um, the better it is, you know, then, then you've done a good job. If people are excited about the research you're doing in your lab and they can't stop talking about it, and enjoy it and yeah and that's kind of the culture that i want to mm -hmm. want to give so com feel comfortable don't be afraid mistakes gonna happen but it's gonna be fine and you you're gonna do great and so far mm -hmm. it really worked out very well i'm very mm -hmm. proud of my students very very proud i see so why did you select these novel secretory organelles generated, generated by malaria parasites as the topic of focus in your lab. I get that you had worked with it in your PhD, but any other reasons apart from this? And what makes Heidelberg such a good place to study this and start a lab? Um, so I studied or I decided to study the Morskefts because I find this concept of a parasite coming into a red blood cell that has no organelles anymore. So fascinating. So parasite comes in, nothing there. And he said, but, well, but I need to get into contact with my host. So what do I do? Well, why not kind of just build an organelle and <laughs> just see how this goes. And I tell my students, usually it's like, you just moved into the new dorm and the room's empty. You say, I don't like this. And you go to Ikea and you just get all, or wherever you go and you just bring all your furniture and you make yourself at home. That's what the parasite does. And I just find this absolutely fascinating. This concept, just, wow, there is an organelle all of a sudden. And it does, we, we're still not hundred percent sure of all the things the organelle does, but definitely one of them is protein trafficking. And it's just, it's just mind blowing. And I just find it so fascinating. I said, you know what? I definitely want to work with this. It is basically kind of um, the, yeah, the, the, the black spot on the, on the cell map of the infected red blood cell, because yeah, it's enigmatic as one publication named it in uh, 2013. And yeah, it is really the key to understand how host parasite interaction works. And I think understanding the Mars clefts and targeting the Mars clefts is a good step towards getting rid of severe symptoms and eventually at some point, of course, getting rid of malaria. Why is that? Because in 2011, when I was a PhD student, I was part of on a study where we basically looked at the morphology change um, of the Mars clefts in different red blood cells, as I mentioned before. And in sickle cells, the Mars clefts completely use their, excuse me, lose the morphology that they need to, in order to be able to traffic proteins properly. And we basically concluded from that, that's why people that have sickle cell anemia are protected from severe symptoms because the parasite cannot uh, interact with the host the way it wants to be and yeah and this is basically what what drives me just this fascination and um yeah why heidelberg well heidelberg as i said is my alma mater i <laughs> i decided that i wanted to be here or at this university when i was 17 years old so um i and i have spent 
a huge part of my scientific life actually at Heidelberg University. And it's just a very vibrant campus, you know? So the, I love the department, you know, everybody in the department where I'm working at is great fun. Also PIs, young PIs, a bit older PIs that you can always turn to and ask and uh, supportive. Then we have many nice facilities on campus and many other labs, you know, that do other stuff, but might still give you a new perspective on your own research. So that's why I always say, just talk, talk to people, find, find people that maybe have never heard of it before and they give you a completely new perspective. You know, you have your ideas, what, what you think is, is the case and they look at it and say, have you ever thought about, and I say, oh no, actually I haven't, you know, or mm, that, that crossed my mind, but I thought it's weird, but when you think it, maybe it's, it's true. And um, so, so yeah, it's a vibrant campus. And what I really love doing is also the, the teaching. And for me, it's just my biggest pleasure and also an honor to be a part of the student's path to, in order to become a scientist. You know, I mean, you're a scientist is always a work in progress. You know, mm -hmm. you're never finished. But um, yeah, for me, it's just be part of this journey. And I know at some point when I was a student, there were professors, PIs, doctors, whoever I met on campus that kind of here and there influenced me on space. And, and those people also became part of my scientific life and my, on my path. And to think that maybe some students say, hey, you know what, there was this, um, was this young PI and she helped me to do this and this and this, and I really like it and I still do it. And this is for me the, just the biggest honor to be part of this. Yeah. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. I find it really fascinating that you have a thriving scientific communication oh. <laughs> uh, career along with being a group leader. How did you get into it and what does your job entail? I had submitted a paper to a journal and the editor basically suggested, hey, he said, you're a good writer. You like writing. Why don't you go ahead um, and write for advanced science news, you know, they always looking for people. And um, I said, you know what, that is actually a great idea because writing or science communication helps you a lot to be able to quickly assess publications and really kind of write them or like put, put your mark down and say, okay, I'm gonna write this and I'm gonna write it so that other people understand what this lab did. And this helps you really um, when you write your own publications. And, but when I started uh, the science communication path in parallel was also when I said to the editor, um, Victoria, shout out here, <laughs> that I would also love to interview scientists. So basically what you're doing <laughs> um, for me, I always find it fascinating what, what people are doing. As I said, like, although I love the Morris clefts and parasitology, and that's totally my thing, I love to listen to what other people have to, have to say and how they mm -hmm. talk about their research and what fascinates them. And yeah, and I met so many amazing people on the way when I started doing this. And I think uh, to, I mean, I, I cannot even like start naming it. I mean, maybe maybe the one that, is the most famous that I, that I interviewed was Stephen Hawley, who flew five times to space with NASA and uh, who pulled the Hubble Space Telescope into 
into the orbit, so to say, mm -hmm. out of the out of the spaceship. And so you get to know a lot about the science, but also mm -hmm. like what drives them and interesting things they have experienced during their career. And uh, for me, this is absolutely fascinating. And I also during these interviews, I have a lot have a chance to talk to amazing women in science as well. And I love showcasing the research of other women in science, because I think it's very important that women, you know, that we work together and we lift each other up. And if I can kind of contribute by showcasing uh, their research, and it's, it's always, it's so nice. I actually, um, I gave a talk at the laboratory of Lola and Iola Adefeso. Um, she is at the University of Michigan. She was one of my interviewees. And yeah, we also immediately clicked and, you know, it was, it was always just so nice to discuss things with her, all things scientific and everything else around it. And so it's not only that you get to know a lot about the science of these people, you also get a kind of glimpse on how they approach scientific problems how they solved their problems they have in the lab. And also just in general, for example, like what, so we always have a section at the end that is um, what do you kind of do in your free time? You know, so kind of like, what do you like to eat? Where do you would like to travel to? And I, I find it always very important to do because it gives mm -hmm. the reader perspective say, hey, yes, of course, these people are fantastic scientists and like on the top of their game in whatever they're doing. However, they're still human beings and this is and this and this and this. And so you kind of maybe can connect a little bit better because as mm -hmm. you say, you see with the science communication, our audience, a lot of them are, for example, not let's say malaria researchers or exactly. NASA, NASA astronauts. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to, to, to bring everybody together and to, to interest them. And that's, that's very fascinating. So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. Um, mm -hmm. As I can tell, I hope you mm -hmm. do your thing too. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's the best thing ever. If I would have known how amazing this is, I would have like started way, way earlier. Like you're doing it a great job. You're, you're doing it right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> mm -hmm. So has it all been very manageable until now? Because I think many hesitate to explore avenues like science communication along with their studies or work because it could get overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. So for me, this I I I call this my vacation, my my brain vacation. You know, I'm constantly thinking about my research and papers and grants and whatever. And um, so for me, there is a few hours days in the month where I say okay usually it's on the weekend I'm just gonna sit down and I'm gonna write up the next questions and look for interviewees and stuff and prepare the interviews and afterwards you type it down and write an abstract and so yeah you you definitely make and find some time to do that as I said I usually I have of course the interviews during the week most likely like in the afternoon you know to make sure that the, make sure that the lab is taken care of and that everything is fine but my students are super and they know what to do and so if I leave them alone for like one or two hours to conduct the interview it's going to be okay yeah and then afterwards you you basically post process and um, so it's it's totally okay you know you mm -hmm. you find your time if you love something you you'll find and if it's just like two or three hours a month for example or even sometimes it's more you know there's just sometimes except like two or three articles that i'm writing but it's totally fine you know you'll you'll make it work and and as i said it gives you real new perspective and it, it the, the more you write 
the the more you also stay in the flow mm -hmm. of writing and here also shout out to my um editor again because of course it's not like that i'm writing something and i'm sending it and it's published you know you even science communication articles are, are being mm -hmm. peer reviewed so to say um or like reviewed in this case by our editors and my editor you know it, there's there was phases where i wrote something down i said that's very understandable i understand that and i send it to her and she said you know what this is i see what you mean with this but could you please describe it a little easier and coming from a perspective of someone maybe who's never heard of this before i said oh yeah right you know like and it, it really makes you think and it keeps you on your toes and it's 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 really cool so i mean this is what i said it's not not that you write it and it's done so it goes a little bit back and forth with the editors and um yeah you really you gain a lot mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. from doing that and, and i see it as an enrichment not of something that steals kind of my time away from the lab so there are aspects to your professional life that weren't entirely planned like your association with mati babu one has to mm -hmm. be prepared to seize up such opportunities when they come up any advice for students on how to be perceptive towards offers that may spontaneously come up or something that you don't look for but comes along your way yes um so mati babu is a startup company from uganda that i got connected to when I was at Yale University and uh, Mati Babu back then were at the Merck Innovation Center in Darmstadt. And back in the days, I was of course working with the Golgi apparatus and photo damage. So I was not in the malaria field at all. But of course, you know, I still missed it and I love talking about it. And here was this startup company that needed a mentor and I was approached and I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And I went to Jim Rothman back in the days and said, hey, you know, I got this offer. Are you okay with me like doing this? Of course, this is a pro bono basis. And he said, yeah, sure, of course, you know, and um, and so I did. And this is, yeah, this, this came by sheer chance. And I would encourage students to always look for these kind of opportunities. And maybe if these opportunities don't find you, you can also go looking for them, you mm -hmm. know, like, and then approach these people and say, hey, I would like to do that. Do you need me? Can I, can I do something in this respect? And um, yeah, you, you would be surprised how you get this kind of connections. And yeah, I would always encourage my students to, to go and look for these things. I always tell them, you know, LinkedIn is always a, is a good way. Mm -hmm. So earlier before we recorded, you mentioned that it's very important to have a strong support system behind oneself as a key to succeed in science. Mm -hmm. Can you talk yeah. about this in the context of your experiences? Yes, I can. <laughs> so I, I think it's very, very important to have people in your corner. You know, you don't, there's this, there's this quote that always says, you don't go very far all by yourself, you know, and it's also science is a team sport, you know? Mm -hmm. So always make sure you have nice collaborators, nice people in your corner, mentors that support you. Um, people yeah that can just give you advice and then put your into a different perspective and so i would always say make sure you have a good system of checks and balances around you in in the sciences in general so people people you trust and also and this is very important in your in your private life you know science 
is can be usually it is a Mm full-time job you know like I go home I still think about my projects I sit down I, I write I read papers and this kind of stuff I sometimes have to go in in the lab on the weekend you know these kind of things you need to have family friends husband that understands that this is what what you want to do and this is very very important so so make sure you surround yourself with people that that support you and understand you and and yeah and also tell you here and there how about this weekend we drive away and you mm-hmm. see something else you're not going into the lab you know i mean and you of course need also mentors to you know introduce you to people here and there you know it's very important to to make connections early on back in the days i i, I was like oh I, I just love science and I, I just do that and that's great but it's always good you know to to know someone who says hey um I know this and that person here, maybe do you want to do an internship here and then like introduce the student and this kind of thing. Um, that's very important. For example, for a few days ago, I had the, my first invited speaker here on campus uh, from Yale University. And yeah, I basically organized a student lunch where I brought my, my lab members with, with me to, to, the, to the lunch, of course. And then we just sat down and we ate and, and did you see, hey, you know, these are professors, super awesome, super successful in their research, but they're very approachable. And that's, uh, that's very, very important. And um, so I also want to give, whenever I have the opportunity to, to create a connection, let's say between my students and people that I know, which might help them in the future, I'm always very happy to do that because I think it's very, very important to to find a lot of people that are in your corner and that that support you and yeah and I would always suggest doing that so my suggestion would be as as in like for example a student like you is in in his master's go to student lunches go to talks Mm -hmm. you know go to whatever social events there are when you have time and and yeah and meet people and talk to them and learn from their their experience and if it's not that you made the best friend for life maybe that person just gave you a new perspective on a, on a research project of you course. you're doing or so or like one one direction you wanted to take and you were not sure about you know never never neglect this idea and mm-hmm. yeah this is actually what i would suggest to my students and yeah to everybody that i encounter who wants to basically be in the sciences and work in the sciences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so well that was the last question and thank you oh. very much for agreeing to do this i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and i'm sure our listeners will have several takeaways from this interaction and it will be wonderful to know your experiences and your thoughts and things thank you so very much for having me arjun it was great i thoroughly enjoyed it mm-hmm.